And I think it's absolutely awesome to look at each other this morning and to see people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? As you look around, hey, that person's indwelt by the third person of the triune God. That's awesome. You know, it's hard to even say it. It sounds so, it's so awesome. And I'm sure that's the reason why you're being indwelt by the Spirit is why you're so beautiful. Did you know that? Don't you agree that Christians are beautiful people? They really are. You know, when you look at them, as I can look and see a lot of faces this morning, beautiful faces, because you belong to Jesus. One of the very early converts at the church that was started in our home described what had happened to her uh, somewhat in these words. She said, I used to believe in God and the Bible. I even used to go to church once in a while. But now I have the Holy Spirit in my life, and he's made all the difference in the world. Now, if indeed the Holy Spirit has made all the difference in the world, I believe that we must ask, well, what are the evidences of the Holy Spirit in one's life? What are the marks? How does it show? How does it show in you and how does it show in me? I first of all would like to uh, give a little background of the Spirit's work in the life of the Christian before we go on to that main topic, the marks of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. I also want to say that what I'm going to present does not by any means say all there is to say about the Holy Spirit. But please consider these introductory remarks. First of all, we have the mark of the Holy Spirit with regard to our new birth and renewal. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and maybe we could just take a quick look at that. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The idea of the new birth or regeneration technically is God's way of supernaturally giving eternal life to the believer. People are dead as far as God is concerned and they need to be made alive. They need to be reborn, they need to be renewed. And when a person has been convicted by the Holy Spirit and says yes to God and believes in his son, the Lord Jesus, he is regenerated. That is, he receives eternal life. The new birth brings with it a new nature, which means a new capacity to serve God righteously. That's the renewal part, a capacity to respond to God. And the new birth doesn't make you and I perfect, 
but it places us into the family of God and gives us the desire and the ability to please the Father by growing into the image of Christ. A second thing I want to mention is the work of the Holy Spirit to set us free from the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 8, verse 2 says this, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And I'd like to go over that to make sure that we all are on the same page. There was once a principle or a law in me before I trusted Christ that meant certain death. There was a principle, there was a law which said, I sin, I die. And we all have sinned, therefore we all die. There was that law, there was that principle. There was, there was no way that I could do anything worthwhile for God. The law was dominant as the law of gravity is dominant in the physical realm, so this law is dominant in the world. We sin, you die. That's the law of sin and death. Nothing can change that law. It's dominant. Nothing except, as we have in the text, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It is the work of the spirit to set us free from the control of the lower law, to reverse its power, to impart life, and to enable us to walk in harmony with the higher law. And this is Freedom Day. This is God's Independence Day, because the law of the spirit of life has dominated the law of the spirit of sin and death. It's a far greater force than the law of gravity or that law of the sin and death. I am now free to serve God. And since the Christian is a person who has experienced a new birth and who has been set free from the law of sin and death, the Holy Spirit can now work through, the life, through my life and of each individual Christian. When the Holy Spirit is at work in the Christian's life, there are certain evidences or signs or marks. And these are what we're going to look at this morning. First mark that I want to mention is the spirit of reconciliation. That is, I, you, have an ability to care for and love people that we formerly didn't care about. We formerly didn't care about them. And I can recall some people that I was absolutely upset about growing up. I didn't like them. And God changed my heart. And only he can do it. He has given us the mark of the Holy Spirit in our life. Which mark can be reconciliation? I want to call your attention to what you might think is a strange verse. In Mark chapter 3, verse 18. You don't need to turn to it because it's not very interesting to read. It has eight names in it. Just eight names. But I want you to stay with me on this verse because I think it's really a great verse after all. 
Mark chapter 3, verse 18. You know, I, I don't want you to think that I flipped my lid by giving you a list of names uh, to meditate on, you know. Uh, but I think they provide a wonderful illustration of reconciliation. Now, I want you to look at those names. First of all, there is Matthew. I'm not taking these in order. There is Matthew. Before he became a believer, he had been a publican, a tax collector. And tax collectors had a poor, very poor reputation among the Jews. They were considered cheats and extortioners. They were considered traitors, people who collaborated with the Romans and collected good Jewish money for the heathen Romans. Tax collectors were one of the most despised people in Israel. They were bloodsuckers. And the second person in that list of eight names, in this list of apostles that I want you to notice, is Simon the Zealot. Zealots were super patriots. They were ultra right wing, ultra, ultra right wing, one might say. Simon was committed to liberating Israel from the Romans. So he killed as many Romans as he possibly could. He also was committed to killing tax collectors like Matthew. There was a mutual hatred between tax collectors and zealots. Are you with me? And here in Mark chapter 3, verse 18, you have Jesus naming among the apostles a tax collector and a zealot, and they walk side by side in the company of Jesus. How could that be? When they formerly hated each other with a deep, deep hatred. Well, they were reconciled to God and to each other. They were captured by Jesus loving them. One cannot be a follower of the Lord and not be reconciled to a fellow believer. And the church of our Lord is inclusive, not exclusive. And we practice the spirit of reconciliation when we lay aside our prejudices, when we do not gossip or backbite or form little cliques, but rather when we are in the spirit of prayer for one another, when we honor one another, when we are devoted to one another, when we are at work at making the wrongs in our life right. To be reconciled to one another must be a primary commitment. Otherwise, there is disobedience to the work of the Holy Spirit. A commitment to reconciliation requires doing whatever is necessary to be at peace with one's brothers and sisters. And the implications of reconciliation are very large. We cannot hope to reconcile in the world that which we cannot reconcile in our own lives. There's not much point going out there to the world if we got a problem here. But if God can change us, maybe God can change our neighbors. And the very thing that our neighbor needs so desperately are things that we all struggle with and in very large measure 
have found resolution through the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit which he has given us. May the Lord help us in this important area of reconciliation. That is a great mark of the Holy Spirit if you are a person who loves to make peace. There is a verse which says, insofar as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. A second mark of the Spirit is where fellowship is deep and honest. And I'd like to read two verses from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, Therefore, conclusion, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What do we mean by fellowship? The Greek word koinonia, or fellowship, was originally used by Greek philosophers to speak of the life tie which unites people. There was a tie, they said, that held us together, that could not be broken, and that word was fellowship or koinonia. Koinonia was that which was essential to life. We needed it. We cannot do without it. Fellowship. The fellowship of the Spirit is present when the Holy Spirit himself is guiding us, leading us, directing us in our relationships with each other. I know that we're imperfect people. And I stand here before you as an example of an imperfect person. And we do not therefore do things perfectly. Notwithstanding some conflict, some hurting of one another, we model a unity in fellowship by the way we handle our hurts and imperfections. And our fellowship will survive and grow as we learn to forgive one another and to know our own need for forgiveness. And the big issues of life will not overwhelm us if we remember the simpler things like learning to love and serve one another in our imperfections. Once we have set our feet on the new road, that is the new life in Jesus, fellowship is what helps us along the way. In the fellowship, and get this, we learn to unlearn the old patterns and to learn what the kingdom of God is all about. The fellowship helps us to resist the pressures of our culture and helps us to respond to it in a reconciling way. Fellowship is not withdrawing from the world because the purpose of our calling is to make Jesus Christ visible to the world. Fellowship is the place where the healing of our own lives becomes the foundation of the healing of our neighbor. People who have been made hard and cynical 
after years of frustration and discouragement, become more gentle. And those of us who once knew fear now know trust. The environment of love always opens up new gifts. And some of these gifts that could come forward are the ones that people buried in the past because they didn't seem to count in the world. And the freedom that comes from being loved enables us to discover many new things, things about God and things about each other and, and things about ourselves. Fellowship. Can't do without it. So very important. It's easy to love another person and have fellowship with that person when we're both committed to the same purpose. A third mark of the Spirit is where worship is alive and real and shared by the whole body. The earliest disciples were led by the Spirit, not only to a sharing of possessions, but to a tremendous depth of worship. They broke bread from house to house or at home. They praise God. And as I read those first few chapters in the book of Acts, there's another word that struck me very forcefully. And that is that they had a sense of awe. They were just awestruck that God would live among them. They were awestruck that God could do such wonders among them that he could unite that which was formerly not capable of being united. They were awestruck. They had a sense of awe. You ever come to a service on Sunday morning and you have a sense of awe that God is present. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Are you struck with awe that God is present here? It's just amazing. Amazing. The early believers worshiped God even when threatened or in prison. And praise was one of the special results of the Spirit coming on these disciples. They praise God. And I, I think of that wonderful example of Paul and Barnabas in prison at Philippi. They were feet in the stocks. They had been beaten with rods, and I imagine they had bruises all over their body, and those bruises didn't feel very good. And they were placed in that uncomfortable position with their feet in the stocks. <laughs> and they were singing. They were singing around midnight. And then there's a little part of that verse there that, I, I, that struck me as I reread it uh, last night. And the other prisoners were listening as they were singing. The praise of God's people is powerful in the lives of others. As they listen to the singing, but Paul and Barnabas worshipped the God 
who had redeemed them and who had come into their lives, and they praised him. They praised him. In Acts 13, before the first missionary journey of Paul, we find the church united in worship. It showed its commitment by fasting. And in this context, the Holy Spirit chooses Paul and Barnabas to go on the first missionary journey. The book of Revelation springs from John's being in the Spirit on the Lord's day, doubtless in the context of worship. In Revelation chapter 4, and that's one of my favorite chapters because we have in chapter 4 the throne. The throne. And we have people worshiping there. The elders falling down on their faces and worshiping. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3, we note that a person who is indwelt by the Spirit cannot say Jesus is a curse. It's impossible to utter that kind of blasphemy. Nor can a person worship by saying Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. A Christian filled with the Spirit will worship the Lord. A fourth mark of the Spirit is where evangelism has a high priority. Evangelism means good news, especially the good news that we call the gospel. Jesus came in order to provide a way in which people might have a right relationship with God. We have the opportunity, the high privilege, the awesome responsibility of bringing to people the good news of salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we to do it? Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says that when the power of the Holy Spirit would come on the Christians, they would be witnesses they would be witnesses. Now, a witness is a person who tells others what he has seen and experienced. So Jesus tells his disciples that he would give them the power by the Holy Spirit to tell what they had seen of Jesus and how they personally had experienced him in their lives. Now, that is someone that other people cannot deny. There can be no argument because they cannot invalidate one's personal experience. It's yours and yours uniquely yours and mine. And we tell others, yes, I've experienced Jesus in my life. And how did I experience Jesus in my life? Well, I experienced a sense of joy. I experienced a sense of release. I have experienced guilt being removed. I've experienced being joined to others. And I have a sense of worship. The disciples were 
to tell others what they had seen and experienced, first of all, in Jerusalem. Perhaps speaking on the block in which we live, or the town in which we live. And then it would be Judea, a little further away from your hometown. And then Samaria, still further. And lastly, to the ends of the earth. That means San Ramon. That means my hometown of Moraga. They all need a good dose of good news. Because when we read our newspapers today, there isn't a whole lot of good news. When I read of seven Christians being burned to death just a, a week or so ago, that's not very good news. And it goes on and on. Not very good news. So we need good news, and the good news is that Jesus can liberate us and bring us into his family. A forever family concerning which we cannot be separated from. It's a mark of the Holy Spirit for you and I to share what we know and what we have experienced of God in our lives. We are not to keep the treasure to ourselves, but rather to share it. In closing, we have talked about four marks of the Spirit. Marks that are found in some measure in all Christians. A few years ago, I attended a conference on ethics at Temple Isaiah in Lafayette. And one of the presenters was a rabbi, and in speaking of Jews, he said, a Jew is different. He is meant to be different. And I immediately translated that a little bit differently. I would like to submit that a Christian is different. He is meant to be different. He is, he's a unique person in this world of ours. Meant to be different. And the greatest element of that differentness is that the Christian bears the marks of the Holy Spirit in his life. May the Lord bless us as we leave this place and as we uh, rub shoulders with people out there. And may they see the visible marks of the Holy Spirit in each of us. Such that as one person said, as they see the marks of the Holy Spirit in another and know that he belongs to God, that that, that which they see will make them homesick for God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
Yes, we call you Father because you have brought us into your family. And we are children of God, your children, sons of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Father, how much you have given us just boggles the mind. And we just stand here and sit here and say, thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us so richly. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have placed within each of us, such that we can call you Abba, Father. Father, may we demonstrate these marks in our lives today and tomorrow. And as long as you have us here, Lord, that we might exhibit the marks of the Holy Spirit within us. Dismiss us with your blessing. Thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for loving us, for redeeming us, for making us your children. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.